Amen. Well, it's Advent Sunday, number four, and we continue in this series called Advent in Exile. I'm really thankful that we're studying these texts from Isaiah, these texts that are popularized and preserved in Handel's Magisterial Messiah. So thank you to our musicians on their way out for blessing us with this wonderful music this week and a couple weeks ago as well. Part of the gift of Handel's Messiah is that he selected texts throughout Isaiah. I actually was corrected on this by John earlier. Someone selected it for him who was an anti-deist, who very, very much wanted to give the full breadth of the story of Jesus. But these texts that are chosen in Isaiah don't just point to the birth of Jesus. So it's not just the, the texts that allude to a virgin birth, But indeed, they tell us the broad redemption story of Jesus. And Handel leads us in asserting that Christmas is a great time for us to look at the entire redemption story of Jesus, from the manger, which we're going to celebrate this week, all the way to the cross and beyond. And that's where our text naturally leads us today. So I'm going to read the text of Isaiah 53 in its entirety, a text that is written again to Israelites who are captive exiles, hundreds of miles away from their home in Babylon in the 6th century B.C. That's where these words are given. So I invite you to hear God's word this morning. Would you stand for the reading of the scripture? Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we were healed. Or, if you hear it, by his stripes we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before the shearers silent. So he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for, our, for the transgressions of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him, the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish, he shall see light. And he shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous and he shall bear their iniquities, because I will allot him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 
The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. And let me pray as I begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I don't know if you felt this as as it was being read, but it's hard to not be amazed by this text and how written over 500 years before Jesus, it seems to speak so plainly to the life of Jesus. If you know the story of Jesus and particularly his crucifixion, it's it's pretty notable, right? I mean, just just look at some of these things. Verse 2, he has no stately form or majesty. Yeah, Jesus didn't come as a majestic king. He came as a little vulnerable baby. He was seen as a poor sage that came from a backwater town of Nazareth. He did not project royalty in any way, right? Verse 3, he was despised. We know that Jesus was, was hated and rejected by many of the Jews, particularly some of the Pharisees. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. His, by his wounds we are healed. Jesus was pierced numerous times and in many different ways throughout his crucifixion. Verse 7, he didn't open his mouth like a lamb before the slaughter. We know this, that Jesus, through his entire passion, did not speak out against it. He accepted it. Verse 8, he will be cut off from the land of the living. The Gospels go to painstaking lengths to let us know that Jesus did indeed die on the cross. His tomb was among the rich. This is one of the most interesting ones because if you were crucified as a criminal, there's no way you would go into the tomb of a rich person. But we know that Jesus did because the body was taken by a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. Verse 10, he would render himself as a guilt offering. This is precisely how Jesus understood his own death and talked about his own death. So, I mean, if there was ever a passage that confirmed that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that was foretold about long ago, that we have heard sung about in the Messiah, it's Isaiah 53, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty ironclad. It's an undeniable passage about Jesus Christ that was written over 500 years before he lived. But this is also where we need to be a little bit careful. Maybe you're fascinated with the idea of biblical prophecy. I am too. You're not alone in that. I've observed over many years here at church and in in other places that people can get really energized when we look at these Old Testament texts and go, oh, this text gets realized in the person of Jesus Christ. And Isaiah is one of the first books that we read when we're looking to biblical prophecy, particularly around Christmas time and around Holy Week. From the, from the virgin birth to the death on the cross, it is all there in the book of Isaiah. And, and even Jesus himself quoted Isaiah 53 in a self-referential way about his ministry. But here's the problem when we get too fascinated by this. It fails to understand what biblical prophecy actually is. I've observed a lot of Bible studies that, that want to read the Old Testament and sort of draw lines to Jesus and say that this, this confirms that Jesus was who he says he was and, and proves that, that God is sovereign and knew all along. Both of those things are totally true, by the way. But there is some danger in that. And the danger is that we begin to read the Old Testament in the wrong way. So I'm, I'm doing some, ground, some, some laying groundwork here uh, before we get into the text. Three things. First, you need to know that biblical prophets are not fortune tellers. That's not their job. When we talk about prophecy, I think we're, we're uh, influenced by sci-fi films and, and, and fantasy novels and things like that. And 
where prophecy refers to these sort of cryptic texts that find their meaning way far out in the future in some unknown place. But the biblical prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah, those prophets, they would not have seen this as their job at all. In fact, the job of the prophet in scripture was actually to talk about the present, what was happening right now. More often than not, the, the biblical prophets have a job of emotionally confronting the people on how sick the culture is and how sick they are in the midst of the culture. Paul himself defines what a prophet is in 1 Corinthians 14 when he says that prophets speak for encouragement, upbuilding, and consolation. You might notice something not on that list, fortune-telling, right? Paul doesn't say that. So the idea of predicting the future is not a biblical sense of prophecy in its purest form. Second, the biblical prophets were speaking to the issues of their time. So when we get infatuated too much with biblical prophecy and how it points to the future, particularly towards Jesus, what, what the danger is that we can start to read the Bible sort of like a manual. That if piece A fits in with piece B and we screw those together, in the future this thing's going to come together and it's going to look like this. But the prophets were actually speaking to the people of their time in exile. So like Joy said last week as she walked us through Isaiah 54 and the barren woman, a wonderful sermon, go back and listen to it. That was not a prophecy about a woman who would be barren in the future. It was a reference to the barrenness of the people of Israel in that present and how they were experiencing the grief and loss of that spiritual barrenness in exile. So too, Isaiah in Isaiah 53 is talking about the suffering servant. Now I know when we read about the suffering servant that it's begging for a reference, right? Some people think that Isaiah might be referring to himself and the scorn that he faced as a prophet, or maybe talking about the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. I think it's much more likely that when Isaiah's writing about this man of sorrow, this man of suffering, this suffering servant, that person is referring to the whole nation of Israel as a people, a people of sorrow, despised, rejected, bruised. Okay, third thing, and hang with me here because I, I really chose my words very carefully. <clears throat> Jesus does not fulfill the words of Isaiah 53. It would be foolish for us to deny that there is a connection there, a correlation between Isaiah 53 and the life of Jesus. But if we say that Jesus fulfills that text, then that, to me that means that it had kind of minimal meaning when it was actually received by the people in exile, and it has probably even less meaning when we read it now. It's consumed in Jesus in his death on the cross in that sense. And, and I think it actually is wiser for us to see Jesus as the climax of these words, rather than the conclusion of these words. The motif of the suffering servant was meaningful during Isaiah's exile, and it's still meaningful now. I'm going to make a case for that in just a little bit. But, but Jesus is the climax of these words. If you think about it this way, the words from Isaiah point to Jesus, they find their climax, and then these words proceed from Jesus to us. So why is it important for us to make those distinctions this morning? Well, I think it's important because we are in Advent, after all, and we've been talking all Advent about the theme of exile. That's what the deal is with these decorations. If you haven't been with us, these are all found objects, right? Sticks, newspaper, cloth, rags, a tree that came from the Larson's backyard. That's true. It really did come from their backyard. Um, things that we find, we imagine that if we were in exile, we would have to make do with whatever we have, right, to celebrate in this season. And I think we feel some of that, particularly in 2020. We feel that all is not right in the world. 
We are unsettled. We are scattered. If these texts are simply written like a manual to prove that Jesus is the Messiah and that a sovereign God knew it from the beginning, then I think this text loses power for us today. But I believe that these texts and all Old Testament texts, though they clearly point and lead to Jesus, are still speaking to us in a fresh way today. The early church actually gives us good reason to feel this way. The leaders of the earliest iterations of the Christian church were called the early church fathers. Fascinating group of people to study. We need to do a class or a sermon series on them. But, and you might think that these, these, these early iterations of the church must have gathered around and just studied the teachings of Jesus. And they did a ton of that. But one thing that we know is that they still read the Old Testament. And they cherished, in particular, the book of Isaiah. In fact, some of the early church fathers referred to Isaiah as the fifth gospel. Because they saw it as a book that encompassed the breadth of the Messiah as they know in Jesus. But here's the thing. Isaiah continued to speak to the early church fathers. Jesus did not bring those words to a conclusion for them, but rather became the lens through which they were hearing these words in a new way. They pulled out themes of exile and suffering and hope And they used those themes in their worship services as they suffered under the Roman Empire. These texts continue to speak, and they still speak to us today. I've been thinking about this idea of the text still speaking to us uh, since last week. Some of you might know that my 93-year-old grandma, Lucille Nelson Stromberg, uh, died shortly before Thanksgiving. Isn't that like the sweetest grandma you've ever seen in your life? I mean, look at her. Come on. Um, shortly after her passing, my grandpa requested that we do a funeral in their hometown of Port Allegheny, Pennsylvania, in northern Pennsylvania, uh, a couple weeks later, and asked me if I would preach at her memorial service in, in the little covenant church of Port Allegheny, that church that she loved so much. So last week, my dad and I drove nine hours from Chicago to northern Pennsylvania to do a brief graveside service for about 15 people. And then we live-streamed a memorial service from the Covenant Church that was totally empty, except for me and my dad and the pastor and a tech person. Uh, I gave the homily, my dad gave the eulogy. It was a really strange experience to do it that way, but it was also special, too. And and my grandpa was really appreciative that we could do that service in that way, in that place, because that place is meaningful. And that was really the most moving part of of the time for me, was being with my dad in this small town that he grew up in and that both of his parents grew up in. Now, my dad is full of stories of growing up in Port Allegheny, Pennsylvania. The town itself is somewhat economically depressed a little bit right now, um, but it still has the remnants of, of the charm of its heyday in the 1950s and 60s as a factory town. My dad left for college at 18. He never moved back there again permanently. My grandparents had to move from Port Allegheny, Pennsylvania in 2006 to a covenant home in Connecticut to help my grandma with her debilitating muscle disease. So for 15 years, my family's not been there. Now there's a smattering of extended family that's still there and friends that are still there. The family farm is still in possession of the family, which is great. But otherwise, there's really nothing left in this town for my dad. Some of you may have that experience too of towns that you grew up in. There's really nothing left there for him. This place that was so formative, so many of his stories are centered there, so formative of who he was and who his father and mother were before him. 
this place that was so meaningful to him remained important to him throughout his adult life, even though he didn't live there. And, and, and even though this isn't a place where he lives or will ever live again, or his parents live or will ever live in again, I couldn't get it out of my mind and, and, and as I was watching him that this place is still speaking to him. Do you know that emotion? This place is still speaking to him. Long since the importance of this place has climaxed in his life, it's still speaking to him. It's not a place to be discarded or disregarded because the importance of it still lingers with him and will continue to linger for the rest of my dad's life, if nothing else, emotionally, right? It wasn't just a tool to get him where he needed to go. It was a constant in his life, and it will continue to be a constant in his life. When we read a passage like Isaiah 53, it should point us to the climax to Jesus, which it clearly does, but then it should continue to speak to us. The text itself is a constant. So if we miss out on the fact that God is still speaking to to us through a text like this, that's sort of like saying, this text has nothing else to teach me. I'm kind of done with this thing, right? We would never, ever say that about the teachings of Jesus, like the Sermon on the Mount or the Lord's Prayer or the Upper Room Discourse. And we shouldn't say that about Isaiah either. But believe it or not, the point of the sermon is not to help you read Isaiah more properly, though I do hope that's a byproduct of this sermon. My goal in the sermon is to take us to where we are right now, to allow the prophet's voice to speak to us right now on the fourth Sunday of Advent, the period of waiting and longing that we intentionally stay in, in the year 2020, a year that most of us are thrilled to be done with as soon as possible, right? I want Isaiah's word to continue to speak to us today, right here, right now. So imagine for a moment that you are in exile. You've been forcibly removed from your home to live in a foreign, pagan land that doesn't know your God. Imagine what it would be like to hear these words from Isaiah with the people of Israel personified as a suffering servant, one who is beaten and bruised, despised by others, but beloved by God. And these people, the suffering servant, will come to see that their suffering is not in vain. This exile is not in vain. In fact, the current suffering will be a kind of sacrifice and lead to a season of blessing for them and their offspring. And though they were of little importance in the grand scheme of history, they are going to be counted blessed and great because of their faithful suffering. In short, everything that they had to go through in that exile was not without meaning. In fact, hope is existent in exile, and healing is right around the bend for these exiles. This period of protracted waiting and longing is not going to last forever because the very transgressions that put them in exile in the first place are going to be atoned for. This is the word that God gives through the prophet Isaiah to those people in exile in Babylon. I want to ask this morning, is that word still speaking for you today? For us today? That word that was first given to these exiles. Let me describe what these exiles were like. They were isolated from loved ones. They were scared. They were confused. They were sad. They were anxious. They were grieving. They were in need of healing, and many of them were losing hope. Does that sound like us? Just to illustrate 
that this text should still be speaking to us here today, let me ask you or some of you to do something brave this morning. If any of those words describe where you're at, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're willing and able where you are. I'm not going to make you share. I'm not going to make you give a testimony. I'm not going to put a mic in your face. But if you would say that is true about yourself, isolated from loved ones, scared, confused, sad, anxious, grieving, in need of healing, losing hope, just just stand where you are for a moment. If you're still sitting down, awesome. That's great. But for those of you who are standing, I have a word for you this morning. I want you to receive it this morning. It's the exact same word that was spoken to those exiles so long ago. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. He has not abandoned you in the exile of 2020 that you are in. He sees you, and he cares about you, and he loves you. Yes, this season has been difficult. You've been beaten up. You've been bruised, maybe even crushed by the circumstances that you find yourself in. You're lonely, you're sad, you're depressed, anxious, scared, hopeless. But because of this amazing almighty God that loves you, this difficult season is actually going to bring about a blessing. Because God has atoned for our sins and has given us a path to life through him. God turns death into life. Oh yes, my friends, hope has already come. And healing is right around the corner. Certainly in a vaccine, that's great, but that's not the healing I'm talking about. I'm talking about the healing of your heart. And this period of protracted waiting and longing will end, and God will have his way with your future, and his purposes are only ever good and true and faithful for you. And unlike those exiles who first received this message thousands of years ago, We can hear these words with added confidence because we have the lens of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, who exemplified the love of God by becoming like Israel, becoming a man of sorrow, acquainted with suffering, and we know that we can endure whatever we are going through because Jesus endured far worse for us. I mean, is that good news or what? Is this text still speaking to us this morning? This text did not end on the cross. It just got better and better and better and better with Jesus. You can have a seat. And for everybody else, everyone who's here, here's the hook. Are you ready for this? The text is allowed to still speak to us because of Jesus. Because God came down in the form of a human as a baby boy. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God continuing to speak. God loves you enough to identify with you fully in the person of Jesus Christ. Do we know, especially in this year, how painful it is to live as a human? Yes, we do. God chose that. He didn't have to. God chose that. So when you gather around the manger later this week when you come here, you you set up the nativity in your home, 
When you gather around the manger at Christmas, do not let that be a mere historical event. Do not let it be a sanitized gathering where we look at the perfect little Jesus. This is gritty stuff. This is God screaming at us from out of the manger, Hey, I'm still speaking to you. I did not stop speaking 2,000 years ago because I choose to be present with you. I didn't stop healing 2,000 years ago because I still choose through my wounds to make you whole. This is not a cute nativity to remind us of some historical reality. It is an amplifier for the very voice of God who is still speaking through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was and who is and who is to come. And with his stripes, we are healed. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for good news. For good news of your coming and good news of your continuing presence with us. Lord, we believe that you are still speaking to us. That you didn't stop speaking to your people through the prophets. You didn't stop speaking to your people through Jesus, but through the ongoing presence of Jesus, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that you are speaking to us right now, right here. That you care enough about us to not stay silent, but that you allow your word to speak. That these words spoken to exile so long ago are true about your son Jesus and they are true about us through your son Jesus. So Lord, in this season where we seek your healing for so many things, for broken bodies and broken hearts and broken relationships, may we be reminded that hope is here. That healing is here. And Lord, we know that as we continue to live through this virus and all its effects upon our society and our lives, we are painfully reminded that you have not brought your full healing to this world. So we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, be born again be born again in our hearts and in our world and we await that day when sorrow and sighing and sickness and illness and death will be no more until that day Lord we cling to the hope of you as healer as the God who loves us and cares about us and through your very body takes all of our death and our sin and our transgressions and offers life. Thank you for coming to us, O oh God who continues to speak. Amen.